0: that day in January
1: I was uh, in a training session uh, for first-line supervisors uh, in a a building in downtown Deer Lodge away from the prison and uh, my supervisor showed up there in the back of the room and uh, he talked with the person that was doing the training and pretty quick they motioned for me to come to the back of the room and I did and uh, I was presented with a letter stating that uh, I was being placed on suspension immediately. And I just thought it was a big joke. I had no warning or anything, nothing. I just I kind of thought it was a joke they were pulling on me because, you know, I just had no warning. And that's what I kind of said to him. I said, okay, nice joke. Let's get it over with here. And, and he went on to explain, this isn't a joke.
0: This isn't a joke. And so it, it's kind of a long, complicated story, but the 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 gist of it is that you not only lost your job but you were charged with four felonies. Correct. And uh, what were you charged with?
1: Uh, you know, a lot of this stuff I, I don't really remember specifically, but I know the, the biggest thing was I was charged with uh, misuse of time, uh, saying I worked these hours when they said I didn't. Okay. That was so thing. you
0: were, you were filling out a time card every week. And to Correct. the best of your knowledge, you were being honest in what you were filling out on your time card, but they accused you of of exaggerating the hours you worked. Is that basically what happened?
1: Well, it's a, a little more than that. I was being a supervisor. I was non-union, but we had negotiated the fact that we would be paid overtime if we worked in excess of so many hours. And, of course, they didn't want to pay the overtime, so they went into what they called flex time. Uh, but there was no documentation for any flex time. It was just... Uh, and I'd been moved to a night shift position because they had trouble there and asked me to come in and take care of that. And, and uh, for example, there'd be meetings during the week or monthly meetings that I would have to attend. And, of course, they would be during the day, so I would be told, you know, we're having a meeting such such day. It's going to take two hours, so leave work two hours early, put your lieutenant in charge of the shift, and uh, come to the meeting. So that's what we did.
0: So they accused you of stealing time, basically, from the government, from your employer, and, uh, and you were charged then with a felony. Uh, how did that, uh, you know, I, I don't imagine that that's an uncommon thing, that people report things wrong on their time card or they, or they pad it, but I don't know people who have been charged with a felony. How did they make this rise to the level of a crime?
1: Well, they <laughs> it, took, it took quite some time for me to get any kind of information from them at all. Uh, and when we did, we, uh, uh, got very little information, uh, but, but they said they'd been investigating it for two years. Um, uh, so they said they had two years worth of evidence, uh, which I was never, even to this day, I've never seen, nobody has. Uh, but, uh, they just had certain things that had been, they say documented, uh, when they really weren't documented. Okay, and so after a little
0: more than a year, you were tried in a court of law, right?
1: Uh, yes. This I was placed on suspension in January of '01. Uh, went to trial in uh, April of '02. April of '02. And so, at some point in there, you
0: lost your paycheck. You, you. Yes, yeah. They,
1: I was uh, when they when they initially came out with the felony charges. Then I was terminated immediately. Okay, so you lost your
0: job. Uh, you had no income, and of course, you had to hire an attorney, right? Correct. So, and that couldn't have been cheap.
1: No, I didn't really want to go with a public defender. Uh, I, I just felt that because of what they were charging me with and what I knew that I hadn't done this, that I was going to get an attorney that was going to take care of this problem. And so we we ended up getting a a really good attorney. Uh, uh, We had to uh, come up with, uh, before he'd even consider it, we had to come up with a $10,000 retainer, which at that point I didn't even have $10. So how did you come up with
0: $10,000?
1: Well, if any of you have talked to my wife, you know, she's a a talker and within two weeks, Within two weeks, she'd raised $10,000.
0: <laughs> and if I, if I remember correctly, Marion got on the phone and started working the people that you knew and, and friends and even strangers began donating to your legal defense. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Uh, even to this day, we had a... We we're living in Deer Lodge, of course, but even to this day, we had a uh, cashier's check come out of Bozeman. For $2,300, and we don't even, we have not a clue where, who, or where it came from. Okay. So, of course, you
0: and Marion have walked with the Lord for many years. Yes. And so, I'm sure you spent a lot of time
1: praying. Yeah, uh, a lot more time there. It's funny how that works, you know, when things go down, you know, yeah, you kind of pray a little more. I don't know. The Lord must know something about that. But. And
0: uh, and where was your faith? Were you, were you confident that the Lord would... Uh, exonerate you and vindicate your name?
1: Oh, absolutely. We had not a doubt through the whole process that uh, that's what was going to happen. So, tell us about the outcome of the trial. Uh, the trial lasted four days. Uh, during the trial, of course, like I said, everybody was, you know, after a day of in the courtroom, everybody said, wow, you've got nothing to worry about here. They've got they're Evidence is just not there, and, you know, what you've done and your character In the, living in this community for 27 years, uh, you've got absolutely nothing to worry about. Uh, uh, it, went, it was a jury trial. Jury came back initially uh, with a hung jury. They hadn't reached a decision. The judge told them that that was their job, that they needed to reach a decision. He sent them back to the jury room. Uh... There's some other circumstances there that uh, that you found out after that we found out after the fact because it's a small small community of course, and we knew matter of fact the judge he and I had played golf together uh, you know, and we knew a lot of people on the jury, uh, so we found out afterwards what had taken place in the jury room, but uh, there were two individuals that uh, just uh, uh, stood on the premise that uh, you prove to us this is what we were told by the other jurors you prove to us that he didn't do it and uh most of these people on the jury were were mothers and and wives of ranchers and farmers in the Deer Lodge Valley and they couldn't afford to be away from home any more longer than they had been so they kind of just caved to what uh they were told there because these guys said we'll just keep you here forever we're retired we don't have nothing to do and uh so the jury came back with a uh Guilty verdict.
0: With a guilty verdict. And so I imagine that was pretty devastating. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And so I
0: mentioned earlier, you know, that we're always kind of surprised when we find that we have an enemy. Uh, was there somebody in particular, I'm not asking for a name, but was there somebody in particular that had fabricated this this charge against you? What Did you ever find out what was going on?
1: Well, I had been told this, and, I, you know, I had a lot of... Uh, you know, being a supervisor and a lot of people working for me and and uh, develop good relationships with these people. And I had a lot of them tell me right from the very beginning that uh, you're being set up. And I wouldn't believe it. I just wouldn't believe that the system would allow that to happen. And uh, <clears throat> But down the road, these people telling me things and certain things coming out, uh, I realized that, yeah, there were some individuals there that didn't have... Uh, very much character, very much integrity and uh, they didn't really care what I stood for and uh, they decided that in their best interest I needed not to be around any longer.
0: So you were convicted of of this crime and uh, you were sentenced. What what was your sentence then after that conviction?
1: Well, initially we, of course, found out that based on the charges it could have been ten years uh, in prison. I ended up getting a three-year suspended sentence.
0: Okay, and, uh, and so that, that seems merciful, I guess, and yet uh, being convicted of a felony is not a small thing, even if you don't go to jail, right? Correct, so,
1: correct, it's not. Uh,
0: how did that impact your life? How did that impact your family's life?
1: Sorry? You know, I've done this a number of times. I don't know why when I get to this point it gets so hard, but it still does. Our youngest son, uh, he was uh, just starting high school at the time. Uh, He just didn't understand how God didn't uh, do what we thought he was going to do. And, of course, the Lord always has a better idea, and uh, he did in this instance also.
0: So you told me the other day Irv, when we were talking that, of course, you couldn't, you couldn't go hunting with your kids. Uh, you were on probation for a period of time. Eventually, uh, you, you checked in with your parole officer and all that kind of stuff. And so eventually, was your record expunged or how did that all work as it three years? And, and it, basically, you were exonerated or how Yeah, that it, was, work? it
1: was a three-year suspended sentence and... Uh, Uh, We moved to Bozeman at the time. Uh, That's another story for another time, but we moved to Bozeman at the time, uh, checked in with my parole officer here in Bozeman like I was supposed to do. Uh, She kind of shook her head the whole time she was reading through this uh, because nothing nothing really figured that this is what should have happened, even what she had in front of her. She said, well, just come back and see me in a month, which I did, um, she checked everything, you know. Talked to me. Everything was going fine. She says, "You know, I don't really care if I see you again. You know, you're you're doing fine. No problem." So that went on. I found out that uh, at that point, that uh, if there were no further problems after I'd done half of the suspended sentence, that I could uh, uh, appeal to the court to have things have things removed at that time. So after a year and a half, I I did that. And, uh, or I went to the parole officer and said, this is what i like to do. And she says, fine, I'll draw up the paperwork. And she drew up all the paperwork and she said, I'll call you when it's, when it's ready. And, and I, I went in to sign it and I'm reading through it. And at the very bottom, it says, you know, that I had originally, uh, gave the court a guilty plea.
0: So the records she had weren't even accurate.
1: Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because I never had pleaded guilty, even, uh at the sentencing i i gave a statement to the to the judge uh that i don't understand what's going on i you know it may take until i get to heaven before i do but uh, you know so that's
0: so essentially it was resolved um, and yet uh even though today maybe you're not considered a criminal, or uh, I, I don't know. I think when we did a background check for kids' ministry, it, it highlighted that there was a conviction for you. Yeah, something. there was still you, something on the record at that know, point, so, yeah. so your life has never been the same, obviously. Never, yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about forgiveness. Uh, one of the things, Irv, uh, that... And the reason I wanted you to share today is because you and Marion were some of the first people we met when we moved to Bozeman, and you have never struck me as a bitter person you've never struck me as an angry person you're not and so when i learned what you had been through i was kind of surprised because uh i don't think you're holding bitterness in your heart how how did you work that out
1: you know i don't <clears throat> i don't ever remember there were there were a few people in this that just flat out lied and that's what caused some of the conviction but I don't ever recall holding anything really against them as far as bitterness I just you know I just always uh you know just always felt that bitterness is uh, you know it's going to affect if you if you're bitter against somebody it's going to affect other areas of your life you know, including your relationship with your family. And I just, I couldn't afford to have that happen. So you let
0: you let your accusers off the hook, basically, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, yes?
1: Yes, I would say so, yes. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and I think you're a wonderful example of how forgiveness works. And I really appreciate you sharing your story with us, Irv.
1: Thank you. Would you
0: give him appreciation? Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: When we were talking earlier in the week with Irv and Mary and Chris and I, were, we were just observing this whole thing, and, and, and really what Irv said to me originally was, you know, he never really struggled with forgiveness, and I think that's, that's amazing. I struggle with forgiveness almost every day, you know, and, uh, and I think my observation is that Irv is one of those men who has walked with Jesus for so many years, and the disciplines of the Christian life are in place so that when he was thrown into a deep, deep crisis, he was ready ahead of time to forgive. And that's what I hope that all of you get out of this message series, is that forgiveness will become a daily discipline, a daily practice in your life. Um, This is what Jesus said in Matthew 544. I think this is coming up on your screen. Uh, Jesus said, But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These are the words of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, at first reading, you would probably say, like me, why do I have enemies, okay? I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I'm nice to everybody. I never raise my voice. I, I never lose my temper. Well, that's not what I say, but I'm sure that's what you say. Uh, why would I have enemies? And, and why would somebody persecute me? Why do I have to struggle with this thing of forgiveness? And, and honestly, I don't completely understand it, but the reality is, if you haven't yet experienced it, you probably will have the experience when somebody comes against you and, and takes the position of being your enemy. But this is what every one of us need to remember. And if you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. The reality is I must forgive because because it's i not the person that hurt me who needs healing this is kind of what irv was talking about if i hold bitterness in my heart if i hold hatred and 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 a a longing to revenge if i won't let those people who have become my enemies off the hook if i can't let them go then i'm going to be full of all kinds of pain and i'm going to affect everybody around me and the reality is it's i who needs healing It's I who need healing. And I hope that that short, simple phrase will go deep into your spirit today. It's I who needs healing. I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament, the story of Saul and David in the book of 1 Samuel 18. And uh, we're going to have to walk through these scriptures quickly, so if you've got your Bibles with you or if you're uh, using an iPad or an iPhone or some sort of Bible software, turn to First Samuel 18 with me if you would please. Uh, David was called later on in the Bible, a man after God's own heart. He was somebody that God passionately loved and he, he uh, fulfilled an important mission on planet Earth that has had a legacy for thousands of years. And yet David, as good a man as he was, as virtuous as he was, as likable as he was as a young man, he found that the king of Israel, Saul, became his enemy. And that story is in First samuel 18 i'm going to start reading at verse 5 it says this whatever saul asked david to do david did it successfully so saul made him a commander over the men of war an appointment that was welcomed by the people and saul's officials alike everybody loved david and when the victorious israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all of the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul and they sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. You see, they had been victorious in war and they began to sing a song and here's the lyrics to the song. Okay, look at this. They're singing, Saul has killed his thousands but David has killed his 10,000s. All right, poor Saul, right? All these ladies, they're just going gaga over good-looking David, and he's victorious, and Saul's just kind of taking a back burner. Saul's thinking, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? Verse 8 says, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king and it says this in verse 9 so from that time on Saul kept a jealous eye on David do you know what happens when we let jealousy creep into our hearts do you know what happens when we become uh, intimidated by talented and successful people around us Do you understand what happens when we aren't satisfied with what God gives us? When jealousy enters in our hearts? What happened to Saul was he literally began to hunt David like an animal. It says uh, in verse 10 that the next day a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in the house like a madman. David was playing his harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped from him twice. The story goes on to talk about how David succeeded and how jealousy consumed Saul and how Saul was bent on destroying David's life. And now if you're with me in your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Samuel 24 There's lots of stuff that goes on between chapter 18 and chapter 24, but basically what's happening is this relationship deteriorates and deteriorates to the point that David finds that he has to flee from Saul. He has to go into hiding. And this couldn't have been an easy thing because by the time the relationship deteriorated to this point, David had all kinds of followers and men that were loyal to him. Basically a small army was following the leadership of David. And so all of them were fleeing from the wrath of King Saul. And in chapter 24, uh, it talks about how Saul was in pursuit of David. His army was pursuing, pursuing David and all of his men. And one night, Saul went into a cave. And I kind of think this is kind of comical because, you know, the Bible uses very proper, appropriate language, you know. And, and Saul went into a cave and he was basically going to go to the bathroom in the cave, all right. And, and your Bible might not say it like that, but <laughs> read between the lines. That's what's going on, okay. So... He goes in, into the cave to use the bathroom. And what he didn't know was in this cave was David and all of his men, but they were deeper into the cave, all right? So Saul had no idea that David and all his men were in there. And David and, and, and his guys were back there going, yeah, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, all of David's men, you can read this later on in, on your own, all of David's men suddenly had the gift of prophecy or something. Okay, because they're like, yeah, David, look at what's happened. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. He's there taking a dump. Go and kill him. (laughs) That's in there. Okay. Um, And they're like, God wants you to go kill King Saul. And David, can you imagine, you know, if everybody around you is all of a sudden telling you God wants you to kill somebody, you know? And so David, I'm, I'm sure he's like, man, maybe this is God. I mean, I trust these guys, you know. They're spiritual guys. They're good guys. They love God. Surely they're hearing the voice of the Lord. So David creeps up on Saul, okay? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, embellish the story anymore. Okay, so <laughs> creeps up on Saul, and he doesn't kill him, but what he does is he just slices off a piece of his cloak, a piece of his clothing. And then later on, He goes out and he talks to Saul about it. But before that, I love this, in in chapter 24, verse 5, it says this. But then David's conscience began bothering him. David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And David said to himself, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king. And in fact, when he got a chance to talk to Saul face to face, he actually apologized for even cutting off a piece of his garment. He could have killed him, but he felt like even cutting off a piece of his garment was a sin against the Lord and a sin against the leadership of Saul. You see, David understood something that every one of us need to know. David knew that he needed healing as much as Saul did. David knew that there was bitterness and hatred in Saul's heart, but he knew that even if he would go up and just take a snippet of his clothing, there was something in himself that was bitter and angry that needed healing. David needed healing as much as Saul did. And friends, you and I need healing just as much as the people that have hurt us. Nelson Mandela said this, bitterness only hurts yourself. If you hate You will give them your heart and your mind. Then he said this, don't give those two things away. That's good advice. I'm the one who needs healing. Would you just say that out loud with me? I'm the one who needs healing. Let me share with you seven steps for how to forgive totally. And then we're going to wrap this up today. Seven steps. And most of these things I've talked about over the last six weeks But here's a good point-by-point list for how you can really totally forgive someone. Here's number one. If you want to forgive someone totally, make the deliberate and irrevocable choice not to tell anyone what they did. Make the deliberate and irrevocable choice not to tell anyone what they did. Now, I, I have to say this with a condition because there are times... And if you've been with me the last few weeks, you've heard me talk about this. There are times when, when somebody who is doing really evil things needs to be exposed. So I'm not talking to somebody who's, who's committing a crime or, or talking about someone who is likely to go on and, and hurt somebody else over and over and over again. We have a family in our church that has has had a daughter who was raped not long ago and, and they had to go to trial and she had to stop him because it wasn't the first time he had raped a young woman. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when somebody has hurt you and they've wounded you and you need to come to the place where you let them off the hook. That's the time when you make the decision not to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to tell one person Sometimes it's important for you to talk to a counselor or a pastor or somebody who's uninvolved and you just need to get it out and and, and it's therapeutic. But then once that's done, make the choice to stop talking about it. Because what I said a few weeks ago is really true. A lot of times the reason we talk about it is because we want to punish them. We want to damage their reputation. We want them to suffer because if everybody knows, then they're going to know how bad I feel, right? That's just punishing. And that's not forgiveness. Here's number two. This one's a little harder. Well, I don't know if it is, but it's tough. Be pleasant to them if you're around them. Be pleasant. You're in a social situation. You come to church. Somebody in church has hurt you, okay? And everything in you wants to sock them in the gut, okay? My friend Terry, you're smirking. You've been there, haven't you? <laughs> uh and 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 you just you want to strike back in some way or at least you want to go to the other room or maybe go to the church across the across town whatever you're just going to get away from that person step two in total forgiveness is be pleasant to this person if you're around them and then number three kind of follows up on that say something to this person that will free them from guilt What an incredible gift you can give someone. They may be aware that they've done something awful, that they've hurt you. They may be aware that there is a rift between you. But with a few words, you can set them free from guilt. And it's a powerful part of the forgiveness process. And then number four, let them feel good about themselves. You know, when we're bitter, when we're feeling hateful, we really want that person to feel really nasty and guilty and awful, right? And if I can just put the screws into them, that's all the better. But that's not walking in forgiveness. Forgiving is to let them feel good about themselves. Why? Because the Bible says that God has removed our guilt from us as far as the East is from the West, right? Our guilt is is gone. And, 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 And why wouldn't we want to extend that kind of forgiveness to somebody else who's as much a child of God as I am? So let them feel the forgiveness and the freedom from guilt. Number five, protect them from their greatest fear. Those of us that have done bad things, I think sometimes our biggest fear is being exposed. We're so afraid that somebody who knows my sin, who knows my my weaknesses, who knows what I've done, will tell everyone and destroy my reputation. That's, that's the greatest fear. So protect them from that fear. And then number six, keep it up today, tomorrow, this year, and next year. Keep it up. Keep it up. Don't talk about it. Let them feel good. Make them feel good. Be kind. You don't have to go on a vacation with them. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. One of the conversations I've had with lots of people during this message series is, is this truth, that forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. And so uh, forgiving someone doesn't mean that they have to be your best friend. It, it doesn't mean that you're going to send your kids over to their house to babysit. You know, it, it doesn't mean that but keep the forgiveness process up again and again. And then lastly, number seven, and this one is critical, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God blesses them. If the person who has hurt you is somebody that's not a believer in Jesus, pray that Jesus will break through to them and will will bring them into the life of grace. Pray that that God will enlarge their territory. Pray that as as they are blessed, God will bless you. And here's a surprising consequence. If you will really walk in forgiveness and go through these seven steps and, and walk it out year after year, you might be surprised to find that your enemy may become your friend. You might not want them to be your friend, but it might happen. Might happen. So as we wrap this up today, let me give you three next steps. And uh, I don't know how many of you have been reading Total Forgiveness over the course of the last six or seven weeks, but uh, I think we, have, we, went, we sold about 45, 50 books somewhere in that neighborhood, so I, I know that many of you are reading, and this week I'm asking you to read the last chapter, chapter seven. I hope that as you go deeper in this book, it reinforces the truth that I've been teaching every week. And then if you've been memorizing each week, each week I've given you a memory verse. It's been printed out on your card. And this week I'm asking you to memorize Matthew 5, 44, where Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then lastly, number three, get to work on forgiving blank. Okay, I don't know who it is for you, but if you're taking notes this morning and there's somebody on your mind, what I would like to suggest to you is that you just fill in that blank. Who is it that you're working on forgiving? It 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 might be might be your boss who has treated you badly, or a coworker who's damaged your reputation. Many of you last week received prayer because you're struggling to forgive yourself. Write your own name in if it's there, if if you're that person. Or one of the things that Irv mentioned earlier is that his son, had really become angry at God. I think sometimes some of us have to forgive God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been angry at God because you didn't get what you thought you should get from God? Tino's shaking his head, no. <laughs> you're, a better, you're a better man than I am, Tino. I've been mad at God sometimes. And sometimes we just have to let God off the hook. And if that's you, write that in the blank. And then get to work on forgiving that person. Be a good place to say amen. Amen. Would you put your things to the side and stand with us?